The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 93. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the sixth Doctor story, Attack of the Cybermen. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So uh, before we get into Attack of the Cybermen, I just want to mention a bit of feedback I got uh, from my mother-in-law, who is also a Doctor Who fan and listens to the podcast. So I only say Ooh, nice things about her you're on, on the podcast. on good terms with your mother-in-law. How about oh, that? Yeah. My mother-in-law is a super geek. So just Oh, know. nice. So nice. I'll, say, I'll, say, I'll say nice things about her now. She's uh, also uh, a computer expert. So anybody who has computer problems, you can talk to uh, Grandma Nerd is her – actually, she's Mama Nerd <laughs> is her business name in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah. and, she, and she was uh, she's been doing computers for about fifty years. So, nice, it, but she's also a, a, a super geek. So, but she gave me this great tip, which is that you know how we've always talked about the big finish audio productions, um, and you know, I, I one of the things that ho- hold me back a little bit was not just the, the the breadth of them, but also it can get expensive buying all those audio productions. Well, Big Finish has made available hundreds of their productions, their Doctor Who productions, on Spotify for free. Uh, so if you have Spotify, and you don't necessarily have to have a spot pay for Spotify to get it. Um, if you have a free Spotify account, you can access these as well. Um, so this, I'll put a link in the show notes, the, the VHSHoovian.com blog uh, put together this big index of all the free Big Finish stuff mm-hmm. on Spotify. And there's lots. Yeah. Now, it should be pointed out, this stuff is not their most recent. So if you want to hear the most recent Big Finish stuff, you'll need to go to Big Finish and buy it. But this is their this is essentially their early years catalog. They've got the first 50 of the monthly Doctor Who adventures that they release. They feature actors like Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy and Paul McGann. Uh, they also have a bunch of their spinoff uh, series like Cyberman and Dalek Empire and, and Iris Wildtime and Davros and things like that. Um, but it's it's not their most recent stuff, but it is a lot of stuff. And a lot of it is well worth listening to. Yeah. And especially if you want to you know see what what's it like, you know, if you've never listened to stuff like that before, it's a nice way to get an introduction yeah. to it as well. My understanding is you can sign up for a free Spotify account and listen to it, so you don't need to actually pay for this. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, without without paying for Spotify, you don't get things like um, uh, access to it, like in your car. You have to be like at home on your Wi-Fi or, your, or on Wi-Fi somewhere. I think it's, it's some limitation like that. Um, yeah, I, I I don't have a paid music account. I have all the music I want to listen to on CDs that I ripped <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> I'm an old man. Uh, so <laughs> that said, let's uh, let's get into talking about Attack of the Cybermen, um, the sixth of the Doctor story, a uh, Colin Baker. And this is the third, I think, uh, episode of, of Colin Baker's time, but the first of the next season. Right. Am I correct? Yeah. In that? It's the third appearance, but but because he appears at the just the very end of Caves of Androzani, um, and then there's the twin dilemma, and I believe this is the next one. Yes, well, yeah, this is the one after uh, Twin Dilemma twin was the dilemma. last of the previous season. Oh, okay, okay. I thought there was one in between, but I must be wrong. Okay, no, no, no you're right, you're right, right. I I, I was had uh, been mistaken. So this is his his. Post regeneration madness story, except post post regeneration. No, no, no. This is post post regeneration madness. As he says in this episode, I am as stable as you're going to see me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, which apparently is not very. Uh, right. 
So a couple other things that make this episode notable, which is um, you know, sort of production uh, things. Uh, it's It was the first Doctor Who story to be produced in 45-minute episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There were there was a previous story, uh, uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, that was aired in a 45-minute format, but was basically two episodes jammed together. I think that's how they, they did it. Right, yeah. Uh, but this was the first 45 uh, – and then they did, they did it, I think, one more time and then didn't do it again until New Who, which has mm-hmm. all been 45-minute or so episodes. Interesting. That, that, that other story, that, that first story that was done, the 45-minute period, uh, featured a, a character who was in both of them, Lytton. Right. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. there's this character, Lytton. So, the, so the, basically the plot is um, the Doctor is trying to fix the TARDIS's chameleon circuit. Um, they, and they, it does. It does. Of. And it's the oh, – well, so let's talk about that. We'll, we'll get to Lytton in a second. So the, the fixes the chameleon circuit, and it's also the first time in Who – that the chameleon circuit ever works, that we ever see the TARDIS in other shapes, the Doctor's right, TARDIS. Right. We've seen the Master's TARDIS in different shapes, but and the, the Doctor's TARDIS. The, and, and the Doctor's talked about, like, I remember there was an episode of Fourth Doctor where he's got the little computer that pull, came out of the console and he was doing different shapes, like it could be a pyramid and other things, L- but it never actually did it. Legopolis, yeah. there you go. Right. I knew it was right. one we had talked about. And, of course, the, the chameleon circuit, he doesn't quite get it right and it keeps – Changing shapes into a, like a, a very flowery sort of Victorian dresser, uh, a pipe organ. Pipe organ. <laughs> Is that the only and, two uh, things? What? And no, no, there's a third. It turns oh. into like a big iron gate. It's yeah. like a cemetery gate or something. Very strange. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was amusing. I have to say that bit was amusing, especially as they played the organ. Uh, uh, yeah, Toccata and Fugue in D major. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so they he's working on the chameleon circuit, and they end up in a, an interesting location uh, on yeah. Earth, Foreman's Yard on Totter's Lane, which is where it all began. This was yeah. the uh, from the the first Doctor first episode, the Empty Child, um, where Unearthly the Tard- Child. Oh, sorry, em- yeah, Empty Child is the other one. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the Unearthly Child. Um, I knew it was wrong as soon as I said it. Uh, that was uh, in the in this junkyard uh, with that the that uh, Ian and Barbara followed uh, Susan back to as as she got got into the TARDIS there. So they end up mm-hmm. there. They don't say much about it. Like this, sort yeah. of, They sort of just in passing. The doctor and, just kind of says, "This looks familiar. I've been here. You know, yeah. kind of like I've been here before, and that's about it." They do that again for like the 25th anniversary in Sylvester McCoy's time. They land in Totter's Lane. It's the exact same place and they don't make a big deal about it. It's just kind of a wink for the fans who know about yep. this. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it's a good location <laughs> for the for them to film in, uh, to go back to. Um, yeah, and it's a nice nod. And the, actually, this episode has a bunch of nods. Yes, it uh, does. Many more explicit to previous yeah. Who things. In addition to the initial episode, An Unearthly Child, we have the Resurrection of the Daleks references with the um, uh, Lytton character. Mm-hmm. We also have a reference. This is set in 1985, which yep. is when it was aired. And that's a year before the store, the first Doctor William Hartnell story, The Tenth Planet, which first introduced the Cybermen, where we saw their home, original home planet, Mondas, destroyed. And that's set in 1986, along with the arrival of Halley's Comet, was also scheduled for 1986. So they have both Halley's Comet and references, heavy, I mean, plot-centric references to The Tenth Planet here. Um, we also have references to two Patrick Troughton Cyberman stories, Tomb mm-hmm. of the Cybermen on their adopted ha- home planet Telos, and the Invasion, where they had a base on the dark side of the moon that's mentioned in this episode. There's also a great little bit uh, that just happens in passing on the dialogue level, where because of the Doctor's post-regeneration instability, he's been referring to Perry by the names of former oh, right. companions. He's he's called her Susan and Zoe and Joe and even Jamie, she says. 
Um, and, and, and he acknowledges that. And then she mentions, he, he even referred to her <clears throat> as the terrible Zoden. And, <laughs> and Zoden is an in joke among the writers. Um, Zoden is first mentioned in the 20th anniversary, uh, episode, the five doctors by Patrick Troughton's doctor. And the thing is, we, we always hear about Zoden, uh, but we never get to see her. She never appears on camera. And apparently she had an, a, a, uh, an encounter with multiple incarnations of the doctor at once. And his memories of the event are all scrambled. So as a result, so uh, we get these crazy little bits of information about whatever happened with Zoden. But in this episode, <laughs> the, the doctor says, Oh, they don't make villains like her anymore. <laughs> because they never made a villain like her in the first yeah. place. Okay. Uh, that was okay. That was, a, I was confused about that. I was going to ask you guys about that one. Cause I, I have not seen that story. So uh, thank you for explaining Zoden to me. So uh, we, we also will, we'll eventually, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to um, resurrection of the Daleks, but mm -hmm. that's probably a, quite a ways off from, to, from now. So could you, could you give me a little bit about Lytton? Uh, what what he was in Resurrection of the Daleks because he has an important role in in uh, a key role in this one um, where mm -hmm. we think he's a bad guy and he turns out not to be such a bad guy. What was he in in Re Resurrection of the Daleks? He he's he's from a race and they're they they're from a place that has this ridiculous set of names. It's like uh, I'll have to look it up. I'll I'll bring it up later. But um, he's can't be he's, worse than he, the Slovene. <laughs> oh no! It's it, it's not ridiculous in that sense. It's oh, okay. ridiculous in another sense. Okay. Um, but he uh, he's basically from a race of mercenaries, and so they'll work for anybody who'll hire them. And previously, he was forced into working for the Daleks. It wasn't by his choice, and but because he was working for the Daleks. The doctor doesn't trust him. And as Perry says at the end of this, he, he never let him get a word in to explain what he was really doing in this. And it turns out he's not working for the bad guys. He's actually double crossing the bad guys and working for the good guys. OK, yes. So in this. Yeah. In this one, he's double crossing the bad guys. Yeah, he was and from, that's from Riften 5, which is a satellite orbiting Vita 15. And of course, there's yeah. a big long list of you know where what galaxy is this in and all that. But. Solar system zero six two zero or something like that. Now I can forgive the numerical reference to the solar system because mm -hmm. they actually have those. But Vita fifteen, okay, that would make it the fifteenth planet in this solar system. Like Earth is Sol three, the third planet yep. in the solar system. So okay, I can kind of buy that. But why do satellites have numbers? I mean. I guess it could be an artificial satellite, but Rifkin 5, it sounds, I mean, I assumed when I first heard it, this is a moon. Right. And moons shouldn't have numbers like that. Right. But they specifically so, said satellite. So, you know, this is probably the replacement for Babylon 5. Oh, wait, different yeah, universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, the way they set it up, it sounded like they were talking about a moon, a natural mm -hmm. satellite. Yeah. So, uh, it, someone decided we need sci-fi names and that's. Sounded like a sci-fi name to them. Just stick a number on anything, no matter how inappropriate. Yes, just like about uh, twenty odd years ago, everything was blank, blank two thousand uh, to show oh, yes. how advanced and, and futuristic it was. Uh, That's why my Twitter handle is Jimmy Aiken three thousand. Yeah, that'll be good so. for another uh, <laughs> nineteen hundred years. Yeah, <laughs> plus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so. So that's Litton. Um, we also have the uh, Cyber Controller from Tomb of the Cybermen. So we have this. So the basic plot is the Cybermen have come to Earth in 1985 ahead of their first encounter with the first doctor to change history, uh, to kill humanity uh, so that when Mondas shows up, uh, humans won't be able to defeat the Cybermen of that time. Um, right. Now so Mondas will survive. Okay. So I get that. <laughs> I'm yeah. a little confused about the second half of the story, which takes place on Telos, which was mm -hmm. the planet um, we saw in the Patrick Troughton story, the Tomb of the Cybermen. Uh, we talked about that just just recently. Um, and for some so, now, what what was going on in Telos? Why were the Cybermen there? And when did that take place? Before or after the Patrick Troughton 
it, before. It, 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 um, <laughs> because, that's, that's my yeah, question. Because they were, they were, um, yeah, I, I say it was before because, um, you know, they talk about blowing off the surface of the planet and all, all the cryons being dead. Well, we know the cryons weren't there at the time of Tuber the Cybermen. Now, at right. least we didn't see them, but you, you can imply that they weren't there. Um, so okay, I, I, I'm going to make a counter case, but go ahead. Okay. So, I mean, it's, I guess the way I, I, I like I said, I look at it was, you know, they're, they're trying to, to basically, you know, irradiate the planet so that nothing could live there so that the Cybermen could be entombed for however long. Cause they talk about how they had to be entombed to serve their, save their power. And of course, at Tomb of the Cybermen, we see them being woken up after that had happened. Right. Although some Cybermen were in, some sort of suspension uh, in this mm -hmm. story, mm -hmm. um, so that so some of them were already in suspension. Um, yeah, the what I read, and I haven't followed this up rigorously, but what I read was that this is meant to occur after Tomb of the Cybermen. That the original sequence of events was you had the Cryons, who were this kind of shimmering feminine crystalloid race, living on on Telos as its native race. And then the Cybermen came in. This much everybody agrees on. The Cybermen mm -hmm. came in. They took over the planet. The Cryons had to go into hiding because the they their body temperature is such that if they go on the surface, now that the Cybermen have, I guess, heated it up, they'll, they'll boil. They'll die. They have mm -hmm. super low body temperatures. And so they can't survive in uh, in human livable temperatures. Wherever they can live, humans are like freezing cold. And so um, so that's why we didn't see them in Tomb of the Cybermen because they couldn't go up on the surface. Um, now they're trying to deal with the Cybermen invasion by making the planet uninhabitable for the Cybermen also. Um, and that's their objective in this episode. Uh, they're also trying to just blow up the Cybermen to the extent they can. See, and this, this dispute highlights one of the big problems with this episode, which is it, it never is clear exactly what, you know, right. where this fits. If they're trying to make this connection to Tomb of the Cybermen, but never, it never explained to us, is it before, is it after? And the story is a bit muddled. Uh, because I think I think they probably do. It just goes by so fast that, it, and yeah. it's implicit enough that that it's hard. It's easy to miss yeah. out on or be confused yeah. about. Or it's I mean, too I, implicit. <laughs> I, I could have I could have missed it, but I, I I just got the feeling it was that it was before. Although you know, looking on uh, the TARDIS wikia, it does say that uh, a history of the universe sets it at twenty five thirty, at which is after Tomb of the Cybermen. And then yeah. uh, it's redated to 2495 based on evidence from the Cyberman audio, audio series. Okay. Hmm. So th and this then, uh, does say that it is a uh, uh, after the. It just it seemed more. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. I, initially, it was I was wondering, too. Um, so it's something that they don't make as clear as they could. Right. Right. OK. Um so, oh, we also have, yeah. and since we have Tomb of the Cybermen, we have Lytton referring to their freezing chambers as tombs. Yeah. They actually look a little more tomb-like this time around. Mm -hmm. And we and we have the classic, gotta have it, Cyberman breaking out of a tomb shot. Mm -hmm. This time there's only one of them. But what's nice about it is there's a human standing right in front of the tomb when it happens, and that human gets grabbed. <laughs> yeah. Very much a horror movie sort of uh, vibe there. So, okay, so what is with the the renegade Cybermen? The, 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 that, that was something that kept, that kept coming up was that the uh, cyber control talking about Cybermen that are getting out of control. Um, when, and, and we see that the doctor encountered one and, and the other Cybermen encountered one. This mm -hmm. Cybermen that are out of control. What was what was that? was that part of the cryons interference <clears throat> messing with the Cybermen? Uh, well, I, th I think it had different causes. Some of it was just random malfunction, from what mm -hmm. we can tell. Some of it may have been problems waking up from being okay. asleep. Okay. Um, part of it was this plan that these partially cyberized workers had going. Um, they so one of the things we see going on on the surface of Telos is a kind of prison camp-like environment where we have some apparent humans 
uh, being forced to do mining labor. They've got pickaxes mm -hmm. and they're mining something out of the surface of the planet with Cyberman guards standing around. We later learn that these workers are themselves partially cyberized, um, which is one of the things I want to talk about in a bit. Um, but they, for some reason, couldn't be fully converted, and so they're being used as slave labor. And um, uh, some of them rebel, and mm -hmm. they attack their cyber guards knock their heads off, in fact, or one of their heads off. In fact, there's a startling number of um, beheadings, of cyber decapitations. Yeah, <laughs> in this episode, lots of heads get knocked off. And the plan is for, and this is actually, there's a, a lot of good body horror in this. Um, but the plan is now that they've knocked this cyber head off, they're going to quote unquote, clean it out, i.e., take the dead head that's in there out. Mm -hmm. And then one of the workers will dress in a cyber suit and wear the cyber helmet and pretend to escort another worker into cyber control. And so they interpret this as, and there's some disputing that goes on between the two workers, um, but they interpret part of this as, oh, it's another rogue Cyberman. So I think that on the plot level, the reason they've got some of these rogue Cybermen is to, is to explain for the viewer what's happening here so that this, they, the Cybermen don't automatically see through the ruse. Yeah, that, that uh, dynamic between those two escaping prisoners was somewhat uh, amusing, but somewhat annoying at the same time. Yeah. The, yeah. the yeah. bickering. It, oh, my gosh, it, the bickering. It's, it, it's kind of like <laughs> C-3PO and R2-D2, only more prison campy and murderous -y. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Less cute, more annoying. <laughs> yeah. But but this one guy just kept berating this other guy the entire time, and it was just yeah. like, I started to feel bad for the the, the uh, yeah. I was going to say that. I'm surprised the other guy didn't say, "Yeah, fine, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. You put the helmet on." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of bickering, uh, so we you know, we have Perry is still getting used to the new doctor. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to be honest. I tried to look up Perry's background and see like her mm -hmm. whole story as companion, and I find it very confusing because we have multiple storyline Perrys. Right. She this right now. Perry is very new. This is like yeah. her third and fourth adventure. And right. we don't really know much about her, except she's an American and has a family somewhere. Right. And that's about it. I think so, they basically said she's from California, but that's about as far as they've gone. Right. Yeah. Right. So they, so we have this. So, you know, she went from, you know, nice do uh, fifth doctor to. The guy who was trying to strangle her uh, an episode ago. Yeah, it was sort uh, of like Clara squared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, I, ha I have to say they they bicker like so much, and, and it's it's not like fun banter like between the like the uh, the tenth Doctor and Donna. It's mm -hmm. bickering, and and yeah. and Perry's just like she's always looks so scared and uncertain, and it just. It, I don't know. It's not fun. <laughs> I no. mean, I, I suppose this is part of what, what you guys have talked about before. The problems with the sixth doctor is he comes across as just sort of mean all the time mm -hmm. and not fun. And Perry is just shrieking at him frequently in, right. in, in this. She's not being a fun companion. Um, now, eventually, so after this season, the rest of this season, by the way, is in the 45 minute mold. And then they kind of go on hiatus for a while. And when we see them again, when they come back, they've retooled the characters a little bit so that it's become clear that the doctor and Perry are getting along better now. They've become friends. Okay. Um, so eventually that happens. And Perry, like the sixth doctor, grows a lot in big finish. Um, sure. So eventually there's some redemption, but at this stage in their relationship, it's pretty annoying. Okay. All right. Yeah. One of the her big things is like we said before, she's very concerned. The doctor is unstable that uh, he has not settled down again. She has no experience, prior experience with regeneration. So she wouldn't know, you know, about regeneration of madness, but her concern is, is the doctor is sort of kind of weird. All the time. <laughs> suddenly, uh, suddenly. Yeah. Right. Um, so that that plays a big role in in the whole story, 
I just I, I, by the end of it, I'm wondering why doesn't she just say, "Take me home." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I, this is not fun for me. I'm not enjoying my travels with you. Take me home. I, I don't well, know. Well, it would it would have been hard for them to do that because they just did that with a previous companion. That's mm-hmm. how Tegan left during the time of the Fifth Doctor. Right. Right. Um, and that would yeah, I, I could see that for like from a, a story, a, a plot level, or a, a overall arching level, that would be a problem. Um, one of the one of the things that we didn't mention in the talk about the background is. The writer of the story is pseudonymous. Uh, yes. It's listed as Paula Moore, but that's there's no there is no actual Paula Moore. Um, Correct. In, in fact, uh, the they, reason the reason that and in fact this has more mystery about who actually wrote this thing mm-hmm. than any other Doctor Who episode. We know it was. It seems to have been a combination of three people. Uh, one of them is um, Paula Wolseley. Another is Eric Sayward, who was the script editor on the series. And the third is Ian Levine, who was a fan advisor of the series. And um, and there's a dispute about who did how much. It seems pretty clear that Eric Sayward wrote the main script and the reason he did that, the reason they came up with this Paula Moore pseudonym was because under British union rules, script editors were not allowed to edit their own scripts. Mm. And so um, so Sayward needed to produce a script for filming. And this is actually something that happens a lot. This happened on Star Trek, too. Um, but uh, Sayward needed to have a script. And so he didn't have anybody else who could write it for him. So he wrote it. Um, but then for union rules and apparently to hide it from John Nathan Turner, the uh, showrunner, <laughs> um, at least I saw that in, in claimed in one source, um, they they used this pseudonym to get around the problem. Uh, what's disputed is how much actual input did Paula Wolseley and Ian Levine have? Um, Paula Wolseley may have had a little bit or none and she may have just lent her name to the project or her first name to the project. Um, uh, Ian Levine, who's kind of a, a shady character a little bit, who's uh, has some critics as having harmed the show during this era, has claimed that he had more substantial involvement at the prescript level. But Sayward has denied that and said he had very little involvement. And to muddy the, the stew even earlier, or muddy the pot, whatever it is. Even more water. Uh, it was thanks, money the waters, <laughs> the pot, the stew. It must be lunchtime. Um, yeah. The the uh, Paula Wolseley Wolsey was uh, Eric Sayward's ex girlfriend as well. Mm-hmm. That he may yeah. and so he may have routed the script through her to get around mm-hmm. those union rules as well. So yeah, just lots of fun. Now, I mean that this kind of disruption, this kind of uh, chaos in the in in you know in the writers' room among the producers that sort of thing is the sort of thing that sh- that doesn't show up necessarily directly on screen but ends up indirectly affecting how shows go and mm-hmm. and so the, the 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 bad things that we see in in this era of Doctor Who is you know this is part of the evidence of why that is like that. Yeah. So some sometimes it can produce really good art. Um in Star Trek, for example, the uh, the classic episode Yesterday's Enterprise mm. was the result of a oh no, what are we going to do? We've got to have a script and we don't have one. We've got to bang <laughs> right. something out super fast. <laughs> and it gave us a classic. But other times, most of the time, it gives us substandard stuff. Yeah. Where where that problem tends to happen is toward the end of series. As, you know, we get farther into it, we start running out of scripts towards mm-hmm. the end. But here, it's the very first one in the series. <laughs> right. Right. The very first uh, episode of the, of the whole season. Uh, that's that that's not a good sign. Um, I wanted to, to comment on the body horror in this. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a longstanding fan of the original Mondasian Cybermen because it's so obvious that's a mm-hmm. human in a suit. Um, and, and the Cybermen in this, except for their heads are, are pretty human looking. It's clear that's mm-hmm. just a flexible suit with a person in it. It's not yeah. as obvious as the Mondasian Cybermen because the heads are different. 
but um, but it's still pretty clear that's a human in a suit. And one of the things they do in this to amp up the body horror is we see partial Cybermen in this mm-hmm. series. Um, there's like in Cyber Control, there's a partially converted Cyberman just standing in an alcove in the back in multiple scenes. Mm-hmm. Never has any lines, but you see his bare human skin with metal bits added to him. And that's effective at reminding mm-hmm. us what's going on, especially with all the decapitations happening. Um, then we s- learned that the workers, and I love how when two of them try to escape, the others just ignore them and keep working, right? which, which is cool. Um, but we later learn the workers themselves are partially upgraded Cybermen. So like one of them has a cyber hand and mm-hmm. cyber forearm that we previously had not seen. Um, and so that gives us more body horror. The reference to cleaning out the head so they can use it as a helmet is is body horror. And then at the end, Lytton is partially cyberized. He's in the mm-hmm. process of being turned into a Cyberman um, when the story comes to its climax. And, and he's even talking about how they're feeding a drug into him that's destroying his brain and he can feel it. And it's it's like this is pretty good body horror here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they they really play on the strength of the Cybermen because they're part mechanical with those cyber hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ramp it up slowly. Initially, in in episode one of the two parts, the cyber leader is like poking um uh, Lytton's shoulder and Lytton is resisting being poked. He's just standing there resisting the poke. And you and it you can get the implication this is a super strong poke and he's really yeah. fighting to not be pushed back. Um then later uh one of the one of the um one of Lytton's aides is mouthing off to the Cybermen and he's like using this mock cyber voice is like things don't seem to be going well and one of the Cybermen comes up and makes two fists and puts them on the aide's temples on his head mm-hmm. and just presses. And and you, you're, you you can tell the guy's in pain. And they, they keep stepping it up until eventually we have this scene in Cyber Control on Telos where you have these two Cybermen squeezing um, Lytton's hands until they're bloody. Yeah, which was which was criticized by and normally they don't. I was surprised because normally you you don't see blood on Mm -hmm. a British program, especially a children's program. They're very much more squeamish about that than we are in America. Mm -hmm. And you have these bloody fists. And I thought it was very effective. Yeah, that was it conveyed the alienness of the Cybermen. It was surprising, although they you know, it's not that they showed spurting blood. It was sort sort of suddenly. Yeah, there was blood on his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which would, I don't know if that was supposed to be uh, uh, symbolic as well. Uh, well, speaking of the violence aspect, I mean, the doctor mm-hmm. at the end there, you know, uh, jumping around uh, on the floor, <laughs> shooting Cyberman like a James Bond character. It is, it is yeah. a definite contrast from uh, the the uh, the peacenik doctor of, of New Who, where, oh, I don't ever touch guns. I don't want anything to do with guns. It's like, oh, oh no, yeah. he, he's constantly having a gun in this one. Um, oh, yeah, and Peter Davison did, too. I mean, yeah. he, I, like, had a blaster up to a Cyberman's chest and shot him in the chest, you know, at point-blank millimeter range. Yeah, there was, uh, there, um, and I, I think it could be easily explained other than the the obvious political statements the writers are making and the, the the showrunners are making with Doctor Who. But, you know, with with the the time war where after the war, he wants to see no more violence. He does right. not want to participate in violence anymore. So, I mean, I, I think that's a and that's a logical um, path that you could take, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, the ob- I mean, the yeah. obvious practical aspect is you've got showrunners who want a peacenik doctor instead of That's a doctor it. who's gonna carry a gun because uh, right. you, you've got carry you got a perry you know packing a, a pistol you've got you've got that one scene that was rather brutal where the guy took the pistol right to the face of the cyberman and started pulling the trigger i mean that was oh, that incredible. was incredible yeah that was amazing that they would yeah. that they would show that 
by the way, who that is. So that character is called Russell. He's oh, yes. a, he's a policeman and that's working undercover. He's been sent to infiltrate Lytton's group who they think are bank robbers. They don't realize they're alien mercenaries. They think they're just ordinary bank robbers. Right. And, and Russell, um, is played by an actor named Terry Malloy. And this is Terry Malloy's only role on Doctor Who where he gets to show his face. Otherwise, he's the main guy playing Davros. Right. He was, and now he was the last one the, in classic Who because right, he was the third not, actor to play it. Right. He's not the first guy to play Davros, but he's the one who comes back most frequently. And so it's it's neat to think, wow, this ordinary looking bloke here, policeman guy, mm-hmm. would be bank robber guy. That's Davros without the makeup. Yeah, he was in uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, Revelation of the Daleks, or Remembrance of the Daleks, <laughs> and Attack of the Cybermen. Apparently, but- they uh, they 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 made a promise to him that he if he did the the Davros mm-hmm. roles. He could uh, show up with his uh, real face in yes. one episode. Of course, it's kind of funny. I love those those titles because we, we were, you know, we got frustrated with New Who, where everything was a something of the Doctor, yes. time of the Doctor, and day of the Doctor, and night of the yep. Doctor, and name of the Doctor. And well, they had a point when it was of the of the Daleks, of the Daleks, of the Cybermen, of the Cybermen, of the of the you know. <laughs> of this the is not a new thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, one thing about the Cybermen that I, I found interesting is, is they were much more emotional. Than mm-hmm. I've, we've seen them other times. I mean, they were at times angry, curious. Uh, I don't know. If they were you'd say they were happy, but but there was much more emotion in them than I, yeah. than I uh, I'm used to. Despite having definitely... the explicit anti-emotion rhetoric yeah. of emotions are a weakness. They're they're like they're basically Vulcans. They've got emotions. They need something to get them out of bed in the morning. They just have this ideology that prevents them yeah. from recognizing that reality. There's there's definitely gloating on the part of the cyber controller at points and yeah. stuff like that. Right. Um, th- uh, another little uh, bit that I, I noticed was uh, references. The sonic screwdriver was referenced as a sonic lance throughout this episode. Yeah, that's because they destroyed the sonic screwdriver during Peter Davison's time. Um, they they wanted to they thought they were becoming overly dependent on it. And they wanted the doctor to take a more hands-on approach to solving problems rather than just waving his magic wand. Mm-hmm. And so they got rid of the sonic screwdriver. Um, Peter Davison's doctor commented, it felt like you've killed a friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then... And that was actually uh, a Cyberman ap- episode, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a Cyberman yeah. who shot it. Yeah. I, be- I believe it was in the uh, the one where Adric dies. Um, yeah, I think but you're right. then... But then they they experimented with bringing kind of bringing it back with the sonic lance in this episode, although all he really does with it is cut stuff. Yeah, um, he doesn't use it in quite the same way, but he uses a weapon at one point. He, yeah. yeah. Jamming it into a Cyberman. Yeah. But they then and then they destroy it by the end of the episode when they use it to set off the magical unobtainium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that only works when it heats up. Right. Um, but they they don't bring the lance back in the series, as far as I am aware. Okay. Yeah, I actually had an interesting discussion uh, over the weekend with another fan about um, the new Doctors, the 13th Doctors uh, sonic screwdriver, which we've seen pictures of, and mm-hmm. how it looks like a magic wand, and, and that's not what the... the Sonic screwdriver is. I'm like, I, I hate to disagree, but maybe <laughs> yeah, early yes. on it was an it was an actual tool, it was an actual screwdriver in classic Who, but it's essentially a a magic wand for the writers right. to kind of make it whatever they need it to be in this. Episode. Yeah, it went, went from basically being a sonic tool that could un- screw and unscrew screws to yes. uh, a supercomputer that the three doctors in the, the <laughs> 50th anniversary episode could use to calculate the exact uh, the, the harmonic structure, resonance of the harmonic door. resonance of the door <laughs> over the course of 2000 years or whatever it was Right, exactly. yeah, before checking to see if the door was even locked. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The and and there is a defensible argument or I mean, it's a reasonable defense to say with today's shows that are only 45 minutes long, having the sonic screwdriver function like a magic wand helps move the plot along, given Mm -hmm. the running time, the constraints that we have to deal with. Yes, that's true. That is true. 
so um, the Sonic Lance uh, may it rest in peace. At least they weren't Sonic sunglasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I, the only other note I had was on Haley's Comet. Just an mm-hmm. interesting, just to kind of point out for folks who are younger than us, how big a deal Haley's Comet was in oh, 1986. Yeah. Oh, I remember it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it, it was like Y2K. Everybody was like, Haley's Comet is coming. It's a big deal. And, you know, it's only once every, what is it, 79? Se- 76 years, something 76, like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, hey, so some people who are live today will see the next one. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it was such a huge deal. And so it's funny that they would incorporate that into this show. Now we're watching it 30 years plus later. And it's like, oh, yeah, is there a comet? Like, you know, like if you're not if you weren't from, you know, alive in that era, you kind of might maybe have a vague notion yeah. of a, of a well, just, comet, just think it's, it's, it's only deal. it's only halfway on its trip around the sun. You know, it'll, it'll yeah. be back here in another 30 yeah. some years, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. So here's my thing about comets. Um, sometimes they are really spectacular and we have these close approaches with a comet that's got the huge tail and it's visible in the daylight and it's amazing. And I want to see one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thus far in my life, this has not happened. Yeah. They keep promising it. I remember when I was a kid and they discovered Comet Kohotek that was going to be passing by in 1974. And they said, oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to see it in the daytime. No, total flame out. And <laughs> then it's like, oh, the last time Halley's Comet was here, it was wicked awesome. It's going to be amazing in 1986. No, total flame out. They keep it's just a few years ago two or three comets in one year, they're going to be amazing. No, they were nothing. I want to see a big, honking, spectacular comet. All I can say is be careful what you ask for because dinosaurs may have been exterminated by a big, honking comet that you can see during the daytime. Oh, I remember Morgan Freeman in uh, in Deep Impact. Yeah. And we, we don't have Bruce Willis to send up to uh, drill into. The, uh, into the comet to blast them. And we got a few park space shuttles they can use. Just, just yep. remember, asteroids are nature's way of saying, how's that space program going? <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, we can all, one of these days we should do an episode of Secrets of Movies and TV on uh, uh, Armageddon, and we could talk about whether it's easier to train astronauts to uh, be miners than it is to uh, train miners to be astronauts. But uh, that's a whole yeah. other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I, so I, I, that's all I have. Do you guys have any uh, last thoughts on uh, Attack of the Cybermen? Uh, I have a few little notes. Sure. Um, I, there's one point where the doctor is um, – he, he turns on the TARDIS's self-destruct device, which we haven't seen before to my knowledge, mm-hmm. in order to, to get the Cybermen to back down. And um, – and he actually lets it count down to one before stopping, which is a cliche. But the way they play it, it's it's like comedy. Um, Perry's having to tell him, uh, "Doctor, the the self destruct is still on," and yeah. he sudden he suddenly shuts it off at one. And it's like played for comedy based on mm-hmm. the uh, on the kind of irritability and foolishness of this doctor. And right. so even though it's a cliche, I like the way they played that. It's nice to see it done not as drama, which no one can take seriously these days, going all the way down yeah. to one. Right. Um, but to see it played another way. Uh, I like the fact the cryons are not called Telosians. Um, yes. It's nice to have just like we humans are not Earth. We don't call ourselves Earthians. Yeah. Um, that's a nice touch to have the race name differently than than the place they come from. I thought the makeup on the cryons was interesting. It's kind of low budget, but they they're really trying to make them look aliens. And they have these. I don't know. It, it's like a lot of it looks like it's made out of clear plastic and cellophane. Right. And so they have these like cellophane walrus mustaches on these women actors playing the cryons. And they have I thought at first they were bubble wrap. They have these collars that are like discs around their necks they look mm-hmm. kind of like the old frills that people used to wear in the 1700s or whatever except they're just flat discs and at first i thought they were made out of bubble wrap but they seem to be too stiff for that 
So um, it's either reinforced bubble wrap or more likely some kind of just plastic they found that they could cut into these shapes. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that was interesting. I liked they they all have these really long white fingers on their hands with big long fingernails and they're constantly waving their fingers about um it's like their race has this tick with their hands <laughs> or touching you know there's a lot of, and, lot of touching and, well that's where i'm that's where i was going next is they're constantly like when they're around perry they're constantly touching her on the shoulders they're constantly touching the doctor on the shoulders and so I'm guessing since this 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 must be like a vacuum behavior, like ra raccoons, they just instinctively wash things even though they don't know why, and <laughs> and they and the the cryons are instinctively touching things. But if what they say about their metabolism is true, that they can't survive above freezing, right? Then you shouldn't be touching these blazing hot humans, <laughs> um, exactly. You know, <laughs> or mean, surrounding them, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. You're asking to burn your fingers there, at least. Um, so, uh, so I like that. I thought that was interesting. One of the things they establish at one point in the in the show is that Cybermen have an alert in their heads. Uh, that will trigger a response by other Cybermen to come get an injured one. Yeah. And we see that only in this one scene. Um, mm. So, like, with all the decapitations and other attacks and disablings going on, why don't any of the other disabled guards' <laughs> head alerts go off? Oh, maybe when the head comes off, uh, it disables the distress beacon, which seems to be a design flaw. You yeah, you, you think that'd be the exact yeah. time you'd want the distress beacon. <laughs> Maybe the distress beacon shouldn't be in the head. It should be in the chest. Yeah, that would be good, too. <laughs> well, I, that's, um, that was always my question about androids of all uh, stripes in various oh, yeah. sci-fi is why is the, the most important part in the, uh, the uh, appendage that sticks up above everything else? Right. Why isn't it in the most protected part? Because it's an android. It could be anything. Right. But, right. Yeah. Um, let's see. I noticed that whether the cryons are able to go in particular areas of their own complex, it seems random. Uh, like the, the cryon leader cannot go out into the hallway from the chamber with the un explosive mm -hmm. unobtainium, mm -hmm. but others are running around in the tomb area. No problem. And so I can only conclude that different parts of the cyber control complex are heated and others are not. Mm -hmm. um, they uh, uh, I, they have the cyber leader's name is Flast, F-L-A-S-T, yeah. which hmm. sounds like a command you'd use in some kind of primitive coding, F-Flast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, this is, to my mind, one of the worst Doctor Who fake names I've ever encountered. Um, <laughs> I'm used to monosyllabic things like Trask and Fisk and stuff like that, but Flast is particularly euphonious. Yes. Um, and then lastly, we have the outline from, or the final line from uh, from Colin Baker from the Doctor saying about Lytton, I don't think I've misjudged anybody quite as badly as I did Lytton. And it's kind of it's kind of like they're milking the Litton the hero thing too much mm. there at the end, because it's like, oh, he was so such a good guy after all. And you, we misjudged him and you didn't let him get a word in edgewise, doctor. And they didn't set that up properly if that's what they were no. going for. Right. I mean, it's sort of, oh, well, you know, I guess he's dead. Um, yeah, that's too bad. I, I guess I, I guess I misjudged him. There was no emotion. I mean. There was a little bit, but it was a, it was played too straight. Yeah, know? not. I mean, if you're gonna do it, you've got to do it. Um, yeah, I, I did overall though. I liked this uh, this two parter much better than I thought I would. This is one that somehow previously I had missed. I had it in my collection and just had not watched it. Hmm. And didn't hadn't realized I hadn't watched it. Right. Um, but uh, but I I enjoyed it much more than I normally do. Um, Colin Baker. I thought it, it was a nice adventure story with some nice concepts. Um, we have all the running around on Earth in part one with the bank robbery plot that turns out to not be about bank robbery. Um, we have the uh, the running around on Telos. We have lots of connections to other episodes. So I thought it was much more enjoyable than I expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one thing that I kept coming back to was is how are they going to crash 
Halley's Comet into Earth. I, they, I don't remember them actually explicitly telling us what the plot, how that was going to work. I don't think they said anything about crashing Halley's Comet. They just said that they were going to go back in time and, and kill off humans. I don't think they said anything I, I about the comet. They, yeah, no, they Did said they? they were going to use the comet. I assumed they would do it because Mondas has um, uh, a, a planetary drive. Which they mentioned in the episode. Which, so. which they mentioned. So I would assume they'd just slap a planetary drive on Halley's Comet and drive it into the Earth. Okay. I guess, yeah. yeah. They just, again, what, they didn't... What they needed was the time capsule to get to the right point in time to do right. that. Right, 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 right. That's what it was. Although, um, since it's a year out, why don't you just do it now? <laughs> well, maybe they, maybe they're, yeah. I mean, maybe their planetary it drive doesn't work that fast. I don't well, know. Well, it, yeah. it takes time to get enough Cybermen to actually do the work, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So they had to do yeah. it, get there a little one, early. One interesting thing was the, uh, the policeman. That was one thing I, I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, in the first episode, we have these two policemen that are sort of stalking uh, both Lytton and the Doctor and Perry at different points. And it turns out mm -hmm. that they're Cybermen, yeah. except they're not cyberized at all. I mean, they, right. so there's something about them that what they're still in human, completely human form, but their 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 brains have been changed. Uh, that I wasn't clear on. It's probably yeah. something something like the uh, um, that episode with. with uh, with the Cybermen and New Who, where they had the earbuds that controlled right. them, something the like earbuds. that. Yeah, or the 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 uh, hidden Daleks with the when the stock comes out of their forehead. Yep. Um, I yeah, or the Daleks had in the classic series people who were called Robo Men that were basically mm -hmm. humans with a headset on that made you a servant of the Daleks, and this seems to be something similar to that. Right. It could be that they're fully cyberized on the inside. But they've been left with a human skin as camouflage. That is some interesting more body humor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for us. I mean, we, we, we've uh, we've had a good discussion on that. Uh, so, uh, what did you, the listener, think of this sixth Doctor story, uh, Attack of the Cybermen? Uh, let us know. Go to sqpn.com uh, slash Doctor Who and find the show there, and leave us a comment, or go to the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback. You can also send an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, and we also really would appreciate it, especially as we're, as, uh, with the, uh, as we're doing new episodes and new series and all that sort of stuff, new season. Uh, if you could go to iTunes, leave us some feedback there, um, write a review, uh, you know, give us a five-star review. That would be very nice. Uh, what that will do is, is as people are looking to talk about uh, Who and, and listen to podcasts about it, it will help uh, expose – this podcast to others and grow our audience. And uh, that's all that benefits all of us uh, to do that. Uh, you can find links to our personal social media and our websites and that link to the uh, big finish on Spotify uh, on our show notes on skpn.com. Until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Dr. Who. Hey, glad to be here. And thanks, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, unstable, this is me, Perry. At this very moment, I'm as stable as you'll ever see me, which I think was the problem. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.